Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. Carl and I, we made a big change in a long-standing Christmas tradition this year. We bought our first real tree in 31 years of marriage. Woohoo! Big change, all right? And, uh, and this was the first real change in my wife's life forever. She's never had a real tree before. It was nice not to have to put one together, and it was nice to decorate a real tree with a real tree smell, and I, I just love those real trees. And so I'm decorating this real tree, and my wife has already gone to bed, and I'm finishing up decorating. I got a fire going. I got Christmas music playing. The lights are down, the lights on the tree are twinkling, and I'm just finishing up, and I turn around, boom, that real tree just falls. I just filled the base of it full with water. Water is everywhere. Ornaments are breaking. What a mess. Have I told you how much I hate real trees? Um, <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of different Christmas traditions out there. How many of you have real trees? How many of you have fake trees? Okay, so there's different traditions there. Okay, boy, a lot of fake people here. <laughs> I don't know what you have at home. You know, the, how about Christmas presents? Do you open them Christmas Eve? Anybody open them Christmas Eve? How many of you open them Christmas morning? Okay, so there's different Christmas traditions. Elf on the Shelf is one, setting out cookies for the big guy, watching Christmas movies, ugly Christmas sweaters, watching the burning Yule log on video. There's all kinds of traditions even in other countries. Listen to this one. In Sweden, 3 o'clock every Christmas day, 40% of the population watches Donald Duck on TV deliver a Christmas message. What is that about? I kid you not. In Japan, Christmas Eve in Japan, families flock to Kentucky Fried Chicken. It is so popular, you have to get a reservation. It's required. That's crazy. Oh, fried chicken's nothing. In South Africa... Christmas Day, children eat fried caterpillar. It's a fest, festive tradition, fried caterpillar. Why are you knocking it? Have you tried it? <laughs> no, man. How about this one? In Venezuela, the capital of Venezuela is Caracas. Residents go to church on Christmas Day by roller skate. They close all the streets down to vehicles and people roller skate to church. Uh, there's all kinds of Christmas traditions out there. So maybe it's time for you to start a new Christmas tradition this year. Maybe it's time to try a new one. Maybe, maybe a biblical one. Take your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, and turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. And we're transported back in time to a day and age far away and we see these men from a different land making their way to Bethlehem. We pick it up in Matthew chapter 2, just a couple verses to start us off. Look at verse 1. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. Here's a new Christmas tradition for you. Continue Christmas. And I know some of you do that. We'll see your tree and lights at Easter. No thank you, please. I'm one of those guys. I want everything down January 1st. Anybody else? I want the decorations down, the tree packed away, everything. Lights down, everything gone. Listen, you can pack that stuff away like I do. Just don't pack the Savior away. Amen. You keep Christmas going. 
You understand the importance. Keep him front and center in your life year long. The wise men we see here continue Christmas. It says in verse 1, they came after Christmas. They came after the birth of Jesus. So some amount of time has elapsed for these wise men. Please understand this. It may have been days after his birth. Weeks. It may have been months. It may have even been a year after the birth of Jesus when the wise men show up. Please understand that. See, the word baby has been changed to child. Luke chapter 2, 16, the baby as he lay in the manger. And then in Matthew chapter 2, go and search carefully for the child. And verse 9, also, the star stood over the place where the child was. Another word that changes is manger now becomes home. In Luke 2, 7, they laid him in a manger. In Luke 2, 16, the baby as he lay in a manger. That manger is an animal feeding trough. Most people don't keep an animal feeding trough in their home. And that's what we see next is it's changed to a house in Matthew 2, 11. Coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. So they've moved. They haven't moved out of Bethlehem, but they've moved out of that stable, out of that cave, out of that barn, whatever it was. See, understand the birthday is over when the wise men come. The family are gone. The shepherds have gone back to work. The angels are no longer flying in the sky. So in other words, this is what I want to tell you. Your nativity scene is a lie, people. The wise men were not there at the stable, okay? Uh, so what I want you to do is go home and reprimand those guys and tell them they're there too early. And send them off to another room and tell them to come back in six months or something like that, okay? But please continue Christmas. Don't pack it away when all the stuff is packed away. Put the Savior front and center. Here's another new Christmas tradition. Replace excuses with effort. See, the Magi teach us very clearly that Jesus, the King, is worth the effort. Who are these Magi? Well, they are wise men. They're highly educated among the highest ranking men in Babylon, Persia, in Daniel's time. These wise men held important political and religious influence in a country. They were students of the stars with knowledge of astronomy and students of scripture. They studied the Jewish prophecies. And you may say, well, how can these people from Babylon and Persia and these places study? Why would they be studying the Jewish scriptures? Well, if you remember some Israel, Israelite history, Israel was conquered by foreign territories and people. They were conquered by the Babylonians. They were conquered by the Assyrians. And when they were conquered, tens of thousands of Jews were deported to Babylon, to Assyria, to Persia. Daniel was among the most prominent. So the wise men would have been exposed to the Jewish scriptures, maybe even ones like Numbers 24. A star shall come forth from Jacob, a scepter shall rise from Israel. Now we're never told how many wise men there were, but we know that there is at least two because of the plural pronoun we in verse 2. For we saw his star. They're almost always depicted as three because of the three gifts that will be given, but we have no idea how many they are. More than likely there was a caravan of them. Okay, because there would have been numerous wise men and probably many servants and supplies and the gifts, quite an entourage. And this is like an official delegation going to out of their country to another country into the capital of Jerusalem. We're never told their names. Traditionally, some are given, but we're never told their names. But I want you to notice something important here. They make the effort to come and worship. They make the effort to come and worship the king. 
And this is a long trip, dangerous trip, arduous, hard. This is an expensive trip. And they're basically saying, the king is worth the effort. The king is worth your effort. More than likely, they came from Persia, Babylon, Arabian Desert, somewhere in there. We're talking 400 to 700 miles. These are three routes they could have taken on their way to see the king. Would have taken two to three weeks by camel. One month on foot. The king is worth your effort to go the distance. The king is worth your effort to take the risk. The king is worth your effort. He's worth it. No more excuses. Come worship the king. Here's a good reminder in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together. The king is worth the effort, as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want to encourage you to make the king a priority. By the way, and set a good example for our kids. If you see church as optional, do not be surprised when your children see God as unnecessary. The king is always worth the effort. A new Christmas tradition. Continue Christmas. Replace excuses with effort. Here's a third one. Recognize royalty. This is so much more than a baby. This is the king of kings. See, magi come to the capital of a kingdom. Why? Because kings are born in capitals of countries. They're there in Jerusalem. And kings reside in palaces at capitals. And they're expecting everybody to know about the king when they show up in Jerusalem. And there are no celebrations. And there's no headlines in the local paper. There's no updates on how the royal child is doing. No one even knows what they're talking about. Not much different from our culture today. See, the king is not who Christmas revolves around in our country. Do you know who's king? Cash is king. Shopping is king. Presents are king. Movies are king. Food is king. Families are king. It's time to put the king back in his rightful place. Time to be reminded all hail King Jesus. All hail the Lord of heaven and earth. All hail King Jesus. All hail the Savior of the world. See, Jesus is the rightful king. He's the rightful heir of David's throne. We're reminded in Luke chapter 2, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family of David. See, Jesus is of the royal line of King David. Jesus is the legal heir of David's throne through Joseph. Jesus fulfills prophecies of old, like Genesis 49. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Bethlehem is in Judah. Nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Isaiah 9. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. See, the heir, the king, is going to be a man. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Not only is the heir the king a man, the heir and the king is God. For there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. The king is a man. 
to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore into all eternity. The king is God. See, the king is a man and the king is God. He is the God-man. He is God who came out of heaven to be a man, to be born and to die for you and for me and to reign forever and ever. See, did you know there's 230 verses in the Old Testament on Jesus' first coming. 230 verses in the Old Testament that predicted his first coming. But did you know that there's over 1,500 verses in the Old Testament on his second coming? Oh yes, he's coming again. Titus 2. Oh, let me give you this one. Did you know in the New Testament... One out of every 25 verses talk about the Lord's second coming. I want you to get that. 1,500 verses in the Old Testament, one out of every 25 verses in the New Testament. He's coming again. Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. That's his first coming. Instructing us with that first coming to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And then looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our God and Savior, great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. That's his second coming. That's the blessed hope. The Lord's second coming. Well, how is our, our king going to return? Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he'll sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. He's going to rule and reign. And how will he return as a conquering king to rule and reign? Revelation 19. Just listen to these verses. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, fine, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth come a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And, tread, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. Say it with me. King of kings and Lord of lords. Your king is coming back. And he's coming for battle. And he's coming to rule and reign on this earth. And he's coming as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Maybe start a new Christmas tradition. Start recognizing royalty. And start looking for his return. He's coming again. Here's another one. New Christmas tradition. Welcome change. What kind of change? Whatever change the sovereign king of kings wants to bring into your life and mine. Welcome it. Even if we don't understand it. Even if we're not sure we like it. Welcome change. Whatever the Lord wants to do. Now we see Herod's response. To the wise men who show up. Their presence. Their questions. Look in Matthew chapter 2. Look at verse, verse 2 and 3. Or verse 3 and 4. When Herod the king heard this. He's troubled. They come looking for a king. It's not him. And he's not only troubled. All Jerusalem with him. 
And gathering together the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquires of them where the Messiah was to be born. He's like, what's going on here? Who are these people? What's all this talk of a new king? I'm the only king around here. See, politicians don't like change, and they don't want to lose their power. Herod is troubled. It's upsetting. It's unnerving. group of important dignitaries from a faraway country show up looking for a king, and it's not you. Bringing gifts that are not for you, wanting to celebrate and honor, not you. Talk about insecure. Talk about feeling threatened. See, he is not ready. Herod is not ready to recognize another king. He's not ready to abdicate his throne. He's not ready to give up his power. He's, He's not ready to give allegiance to someone else. Listen carefully. Jesus is always troubling to those who want to keep their throne. Jesus is always troubling to those who want to keep control of their lives. And Herod wants to keep control. So much so, he's willing to kill for it. You know, in verse 16 of this chapter, he'll have slaughtered every infant and every toddler in Bethlehem in the vicinity, two years younger, two and younger. See, when people are desperate to hold on to power, They do foolish, dumb, desperate things. When people are desperate to keep their control, they do foolish, horrible, desperate things. See, sometimes it's people that are desperate to hold on to that money, to control that relationship, to have control and hold on to that job, that position. Control for power or people. You'll do dumb things when you just keep holding on to control. And you don't learn to surrender it to God. You'll do dumb things when you don't abdicate the throne. And you insist on your way instead of submitting to the king of kings. See, you got to be willing to give up control, Herod. You need to be willing to give up control, child of God. You need to be willing to give up control, whoever you are, and surrender. I want to encourage you to abdicate your throne. I want to encourage you to give up control to God. I want to encourage you to fully surrender to the Lord the rightful king. I had lunch with a young man this past week, 24 years old. He's been joining us online for weeks on end, has some friends that come to our church, and they invited him to church. He, he came one time, and so he reached out and he said, Pastor Scott, can we just sit down and talk? And so took him out to lunch. We sat down and talked. He had a lot of great um, questions, spiritual questions, not quite there for salvation, thinking through things. And at one point in our lunch, I just, I just raised the napkin off my lap and I said, this is what you need to do. You need to wave the white flag. And you need to come to the place in your life where you finally surrender to God. I said, are you ready to surrender? Because that's what it comes down to. You need to surrender. I got a text yesterday from this young man that he had prayed the prayer for salvation. And this is what he put in the text. He said, I'm starting my journey toward my walk in the footsteps of the Lord, feeling many emotions, but have made the commitment. Here we go. See you tomorrow.
So, and I asked permission to share that, and he graciously said that I could. I want to encourage you, maybe you've never come to faith in Jesus. It's time to surrender and say, Lord, I'm going to give up control. Because we make a mess of our lives when we try to hold on to control and do everything our own way. Christian, you're going to make a mess of your life. Maybe you already have. Because you keep holding on to that sinful habit. You keep holding on to that, I have to be, let it go. And give God control. He's the rightful king. And and we're told in scripture, that's how we should be praying. Matthew 6. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my kingdom come, God, my will be done. No, your kingdom, your will. Pray that way. Live that way. See, listen, letting his kingdom come means letting go of your kingdom. Saw this recently by Paul Tripp. The coming of the infant king means the gracious destruction of the kingdom of self and a loving welcome to the kingdom of God. So let him reign in your life. Let him reign over your life. It was not only this politician, though, that was struggling. He was troubled. I want you to notice it says here, the people, the general public, didn't want change. It says in verse 3, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Why? A new king would have been a welcome thing. Herod is a horrible man. He's not even the legitimate, he has no legitimate right to the throne. He's not even a full Jew. He's half Edomite. And he's been appointed by the Romans. He's an extremely immoral man. By the way, he's a bloodthirsty murderer. We've heard about the children that he's going to kill. He had a high priest drowned. He had a wife killed. He had a mother-in-law killed. He had a number of his own sons killed. Five days before his death, he had another son killed. Listen to this. Shortly before Herod's death, he had the most distinguished citizens of Jerusalem arrested with the orders that upon his death, they were to be executed so he could guarantee there would be weeping in the city when he died. That's what sounded crazed, lunatic this guy was. The people should be happy there's going to be a new king. No, listen. People are troubled because they don't want trouble. They don't want change. They want the status quo. They'd rather have a bad king than a new king. See, they're comfortable with the way things are. And that can be a dangerous thing. When you and I are comfortable with the way things are. Sometimes we can be enslaved to our comfort. And change takes us out of our comfort zone. And we don't want to be out of our comfort zone. And sometimes the best thing that can happen in your life and my life is for God to change things up. And say it's time to stop with the self-reliance. And it's time to learn dependence on your God and on your king. It's time to wave the white flag. And say, God, I'm going to accept these changes in my life right now. Even if I don't like them. I'm going to accept these changes in my life right now because you are the sovereign king over all. A new Christmas tradition. Welcome change. Wave that white flag. Here's another one. Study his word. But do more than study it. Act on it. See, Herod Herod is going to gather the religious leaders and get answers from them. If anyone knows what's going on, the religious leaders will. And so the religious leaders, he knows they know the word of God. They've studied the word of God. They've taught the word of God. And so we pick it up in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 2. We read these words. 
And you, Bethlehem, this is what they say to him in verse 4. Start, let's start in verse 4. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquires of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for that is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So I want you to notice here, Herod gets his answers, and he gets them immediately. They're like, no-brainer, next question. They knew specifically, they pinpoint the location of this tiny country town out in the middle of nowhere, Bethlehem. They knew scripturally, I mean, they, they quote a prophecy that's 800 years old in their time. It's found in Micah 5.2. As for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth to be ruler in Israel. Again, the Messiah will be a man, this king. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. The king is also God. Immediately, specifically, scripturally, they had the answers. The problem was, they ignored it tragically. See, there can be people who study and know the Bible, Scripture, chapter, verse. They know the Word of God, but they don't know the God of the Word. And there may be some here today. You, you, you know the Bible pretty well, but you just don't know the God of the Bible. And that's the key. These people knew the Bible, but they didn't know the God of the Bible. Make sure you know the God of the Bible. Another problem was they were indifferent. They were indifferent and uninterested in the place. They knew it was Bethlehem. And these magi come and say, hey, we're looking for a king. Do you realize Bethlehem is only five to six miles away from Jerusalem? Get on your donkey, guys, and go. Walk out the door and walk. Five, you, you can run there. Five miles is not that far. I mean, the magi travel four to seven hundred miles and these guys can't be bothered to go up the road you know that's how some people are with church and the king they can't be bothered to drive up the road don't be indifferent they're indifferent not only to the place they're indifferent to the magi the testimony of the magi mean nothing to these people didn't even phase them they're fellow students of the word of god show a little curiosity at least. See, they are numb to these men and their message. Do not be numb to this man and this message. Do not be like these religious leaders who let it go one in one ear and out the other. Make sure you listen to the message this morning and make sure you act upon it. Do not be indifferent to a man and his message out of the word of God. Make sure you let the word of God sink in and change you. They're indifferent toward the prophecy. No belief, no, no desire, no interest. They're indifferent to the king himself, the Messiah. They show no interest in traveling there, visiting the newborn king, worshiping. No, they just ignore. Make sure you act on what you hear, on what you study. And on what you learn. Make that a new Christmas tradition. Here's another one. Worship and adore him. And you may say, got that one down. I'm in church. I worship and adore the Savior. Well, I think we can all improve in this area, including myself. And the wise men help us understand worship at a deeper level. We're, we're talking focused worship. 
That's the reason they came in Matthew 2.2. 2. We've seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. That is the only reason they are there. What is the reason you have come to church this morning? What is the reason? Was it truly to worship your God? That's their sole purpose. The word is used twice. Come to worship him, verse 2. Fell on the ground and worshipped him, verse 11. It, it means sincere reverence, adoration. The reason they followed the star was leading them to worship. And they continue to follow the star, leading them to worship. See, God desires worshipers. That's what he wants to see out of us. God is seeking worshipers. Jesus to the woman at the well. The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is seeking worshipers. Will you respond to God's seeking? God is jealous for worship. Deuteronomy 6.13, you shall fear only the Lord your God and you shall worship him. Isaiah 43, the people whom I form for myself will declare my praise. What kind of praise? Well, praise to the Lord. 150 of Psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. That's why we gather together with God's people collectively to worship him. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with loud cymbals. God likes loud worship. Can you believe that? Unbelievable. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Listen, that's why you live. To praise him. That's why he's given you life, to glorify him. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. Continual worship. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. These men remind us, A.W. Tozer. We're saved to worship God. All that Christ has done in the past and all that he is doing now leads us to this one end. Karl Barth. Worship is the most momentous, most urgent the most glorious action that can take place in human life. That's because it gets us ready for what's to come. Do you understand what heaven is in all eternity? It is praise to your great God. Get ready, child of God, for what's to come. It's focused worship. They teach us authentic worship. As opposed to Herod, who is a fake. See, worship, as then is today, can be easily faked. Worship is often faked. Matthew 2, 7. Herod secretly calls the Magi, determines from them the exact time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the child, and when you found him, report it to me, so that I too may come and worship him. See, disingenuous fake worship is nothing new. There's always been people who look like worshipers. There's always been people who act like worshipers. There's always been people who sound like worshipers, but they are not true worshipers. Make sure you are a true worshiper of God. See, Christmas is a time not only for true worship, it's also a, tribe, a time for fake worship, disingenuous worship. Make sure your worship to your king is authentic. Some have ulterior motives in their worship, like Herod. 
And maybe some of you here today, you came with mixed motives. It's really not about adoring the Savior and worshiping the King of kings whom you love and adore. It's really about appeasing a husband or wife and just coming to church. It's really about, well, this will be good for business. It's really about, I just makes me feel good. It's really about makes me look good. Are you an authentic worshiper? Or are you fake? It's focused, it's authentic. They teach us to be joyful. King sends them off with this insincere blessing in verse 9. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They began by the star. They end with the star. They're they're looking to be led because they are worshipers. They are longing to be led because they are worshipers. And the closer they get, the more joyful they are. And they rejoice exceedingly, this overflowing joy, and with great joy, this superabounding joy. Why such incredible joy? God is supernaturally leading them, and soon they're going to behold the fulfillment of prophecy, and soon they will behold the promised King of kings. And why this joy? Because the closer you get to God's Son, the more joyful you will be. And I and the rest of us need to hear that. You want more joy in your life? Get closer to the Son of God. You want joy at a deeper level in your life? Get as close as possible to the Savior. Draw close in prayer. Draw close in study. Draw close in joy. A Savior has been born for you. That's how much you're loved. That's how crazy God is about you. He came out of heaven to invade this earth to save you. You have something to smile about. You have something to be joyful about. It's authentic, it's joyful, it's also humble worship. They teach us about humble worship. In verse 11, after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fall to the ground and they worship him. Do you understand these are grown men? Very rich men? Very intelligent, smart men? Powerful, influential men? And they fall to the ground and they bow in this tiny hick country town in front of peasants to this itty-bitty little baby. You saw my grandsons up here. Here's a picture I took last night of them. I'll do anything for those babies. I love those babies, okay? I'm not bowing to those kids, though. Now, their Grammy might, but I'm not going to bow to them. You know, I love those kids, but they can't save me from my sins. There is only one that I bow to, and his name is Jesus. And he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Here's another one. They teach us about physical worship. They instantly fall to the ground. They are just overwhelmed in his presence. And the posture of their heart affects the posture of their body. See, worship can be much more than voices raised. Worship can be hands raised to the glory of God. Worship can be heads bowed to the glory of God. Worship can be knees bowed to the glory of God. And I want you to notice something about these men. These rich, grown, smart powerful men when they come in they don't care what anybody else thinks about their worship they are so focused on the king see some of us are afraid to sing out I don't know what somebody will say afraid to raise hands what are you afraid about you shouldn't be thinking about what other people think so focused on the king 
They fall down on their faces before him. Learn to bow to the king. Let every knee come bow before the king of kings we sang. Let every tongue confess that he is Lord. The song we sang is the truth of Philippians 2. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of Father. See, their worship was focused. Their worship was authentic. Their worship was joyful. Their worship is humble. You know what else their worship was? It was sacrificial. In Matthew 2.11, they opened their treasures. They presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Their worship was, was tangible is what it was. See, I, I want to encourage you. When you come to worship the king, you don't come empty-handed. And some of you need to hear this. Because when it comes to God, you're just nothing but cheap, in all honesty. And you make a lot of excuses, but you don't make any effort. It's time you need to understand generosity to God and who he is and what he's done. It's time to fully learn what it means to worship God. It's time to give up control in that area of your life, holding on to what is yours. You own nothing, and neither do I. It's all God's. He is the king of kings. Learn what it means to worship him tangibly with what he has given you as a good steward. And this is not a pastor trying to manipulate you. Just read the scriptures when it comes to generosity and giving. All you have to do is do a personal study if you really care about it. And you will see it throughout the New Testament and old. How important it is to be generous toward God as he is generous toward us. Christmas is about giving to God. Do you realize that? He is on your Christmas list, right? It is his birthday. Wait, you mean God is not on your Christmas list? You mean everybody else is on your Christmas list, but the whole reason for this time, the King of Kings is not on your Christmas list? I want you to understand, and their worship was generous. Look, gold, frankincense, and Bitcoin. That's what they brought. <laughs> what did they bring? Three kinds of gifts. They brought gold, which was the gift of a king. Throughout history, it was the most precious of metals, symbol of royalty. The gift of frankincense was the gift of a priest or for a priest. It's the incense of deity. So said the church father Origen. Costly, beautiful, sweet-smelling fragrance. This glittering gum made from incisions in the bark of several trees. It was used in the tabernacle. It was used in the temple. Stored in a special chamber in front of the temple. Used in certain royal processions. And then the gift of myrrh was the gift for sacrifice. It was also extracted from trees found in Arabia. Valued spice, perfume. And it was mixed with other spices and used to prepare bodies. For burial. See, Jesus was born to die for my sins and yours. And so even at his birth, we see these three gifts teach us something about Jesus. That he is the true king of kings. That he is the perfect high priest. And that he is the savior of the world who will sacrifice himself for us. A new Christmas tradition. And here's the last one. Obey. Simply obey him and immediately obey him. Verse 12 of Matthew 2, chapter 2. Having been warned by God in a dream 
not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. And this is the cap of true worship, by the way. Obedience. True love for your king. Obedience. And I love that Herod can't outsmart God. So many people try to outsmart God. You can't maneuver, outmaneuver the sovereign God of all. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's everywhere present. Many try to outmaneuver God. Please don't try to outmaneuver God in your life. You'll just fail like this man. Pride is so deceptive. Pride is so destructive that we really think we can get away with sin. That we really think we can outmaneuver God. Do you really think you're smarter than God? Herod, do you really think you're smarter than God person? God's will is going to be accomplished in spite of all the attempts we make against it. And notice it's courageous obedience. In verse 8, Herod said, report back to me. In verse 12, God said, don't you dare listen to Herod. Always be willing to defy the dictates of man to obey God's clear commands. Always. Always ignore man's commands when they contradict God's commands. Always. Peter and the apostles in Acts 5 put it this way. We must obey God rather than men. So like we saw last week with Joseph, we see this week with the Magi. Give God the gift of obedience at Christmas. Give God the gift of your obedience this Christmas. Where have you not been obeying God? You know it. It's time to tell him you're going to. And it's time to show him. Give God the gift of your obedience. And then they depart for home another way. You know what? You soon are going to depart. You're going to depart online. You're going to depart from this building. I want you to depart with some new Christmas traditions. Continue Christmas. Keep them front and center. Replace excuses with effort. Recognize royalty and wave that white flag. Welcome change. Study his word and act on it. And worship. Truly understand what it means to worship and adore him and obey him. Let's pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You who are believers, will you just talk to the Lord right now and about your relationship with him? Give him the gift of your obedience. Let God rule and reign in your life. Submit to that change that maybe has happened, whatever it is. And by all means, would you just worship him right now? Just declare his praise to him. And thank him for your salvation. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You may be here today and you've not come to know the Lord as your personal savior. Right now, he can save you from every sin you have ever committed. He'll do that for you. Would you let the king save you? That's why he was born. You may say, I don't even know where to start. I don't know what to say. Just in the quietness of your heart, call out to the Lord right now. Just use words like these. Lord, would you save me, please?
would you be the king of kings in my life? Thank you for being born for me. Thank you for dying for me. I place my faith in you alone. I can't save myself. I place my faith in you alone. God, please forgive me. Please save me from my sins. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning or would like more information about Harvest's new beginnings, visit at harvest.church.